Welcome to episode 62 of the Fantasy Alarm Baseball Podcast. We are back. It was a slow winter meetings. The hot stove is really not a fire, but we're going to rock out some uh, prospect talk and other issues with our resident expert in all those areas, Matthew Sells. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Uh, any day I can talk baseball with you is a good day. Um, I think we both know that, yes, while I focus mainly on NASCAR for fantasy alarm, baseball is still my favorite sport and probably always will be. So talking baseball here uh, the week of Christmas while there's actually like still remnants of snow outside is, is pretty fun. Yeah, we've got Jupiter uh, aligning with Saturn and the moon, yep. all kinds of I great stuff happening tonight. tonight too. Yeah, appreciate the kind words. I saw you put some pictures up on Facebook about all that stuff. My uh, my son and his girlfriend just uh, adopted a, a baby pug. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on around here. But yes, baseball remains a constant. So um, not only are we getting ready for baseball season to, to get going as far as uh, coverage on Fantasy Alarm, uh, the baseball draft should be launching at some point this week. Uh, I know Matt worked very hard getting the prospect list together. Uh, I put together a, a a bust and sleepers list to kind of kick things off. Uh, and we changed a lot of the format this year. So it's going to be a whole different layout. Hopefully it'll help people prepare even better for their upcoming drafts and all those sorts of things. Even though there's a lot going on in baseball that we need to address that is going to affect some of the draft prep and those other things. So Let's start right out with, uh, since you are a prospect guy, the minor league restructuring. Uh, it was kind of a bit of a bloodbath. Uh, a lot of towns and cities losing uh, losing their team, uh, being forced to either look for independent ball or the, the college wood league and things of that nature. But um, is the minor league restructuring going to streamline some of the prospect issues? And do you think that how things are going with less teams available. This will get guys into the majors faster since we saw the impact a lot of rookies made in 2020. Um, so let me start off by saying this. Uh, last week on the Family Times podcast with John and Pemba and Justin Fensterman, uh, I gave a shout out to Rob Manford uh, because of the decision to finally include the Negro Leagues as a major league like part of the major leagues. Um, so that was a huge, huge deal there. Now I'm going to poop all over Rob Manford because this <laughs> was a terrible decision. Um, I don't understand it in the least. Um, yes, it streamlines the process, I guess, for teams. But here's the thing to know about the minor leagues. Most, in fact, the vast majority of minor league teams are not, in fact, owned by the major league team. They simply sign player development contracts for certain lengths of time. There are certain teams that own minor league affiliates, uh, most notably um, the Orioles own most of theirs. Um, I know the Mets own their AAA affiliate in Syracuse, which is why the Nationals had to give it up because the Mets bought it. Um, and there's some other teams that own some of theirs or have you know controlling stakes in their affiliates. However... The vast majority don't own the minor league teams, so it's not like you're saving these guys a whole bunch of money to fill out staff and whatnot. They generally don't fill out the staff. Uh, and in terms of what the minor leaguers get paid in the first place, it's not very much. 
mm-hmm. right? Like we were all poo-pooing over the, uh, what was it, the A's owner who basically refused to pay the minor league salaries. And the entire minor league salaries combined for the final two months of last season was something like $1.5 million total for like seven levels worth of the minor leagues. So it's not like you're paying these guys all that much because let's face it, most of the players on the A's make more than a million and a half bucks a year anyway. Um, So I don't really fully understand it. I don't know if it's they just don't want to pay for a bunch of dudes who aren't going to make the majors and, uh, you know, whatnot. But again, they're not paying them that much. So I do think it's going to kill um, some connection to baseball for uh, a generation of kids going forward here because – you know, my first experiences with baseball were not at the major league level. We went, we had a minor league team that was like 20 minutes from my parents' house, and we would go there like, you know, once a week, a couple times a month, something like that, and go watch. Um, it was the Prince William Cannons, and at the time, mm-hmm. they were a Yankees affiliate, and then they changed to, I think, St. Louis, and they were the White Sox for some time, and they changed all around, and then they wound up being the Nats high A affiliate, which is now in, uh, or low A affiliate, which is now in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But that was my first connection. You could go and see a game and the whole family could go for like 20 bucks and eat some hot dogs and get close to the field and all that stuff. And now if you look at the map where the minor leagues are, there's whole swaths of the country that aren't included. Like the Pioneer League, for example, in the Northwest and like Montana and Idaho and whatnot, there's no minor league affiliates up there now. They all used to have rookie ball or low A teams, and now they don't have any. So I think it's gonna I think it's gonna drain the player pool. Uh, I think you're going to have a tough time getting this current generation of kids and the next one coming up interested in baseball because there's going to be less connection, uh, you know, to the game in their neighborhood when they can just go out and have a few friends and go throw the football around or go play some basketball at the hoops that are all over the place. So I don't think it's a very smart move for, for baseball overall. And I don't, I don't fully understand why they did it. Uh, it, A lot of these things keep coming down to the cost and the money and, and that's how you believe the billionaires can't afford. Well, I would say that's how you're going to hear that being, being sold to you. So, I mean, it's difficult, but, but our job is to try and, figure out all this information and, and, and how it's going to affect us, especially from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, uh, speaking of the money and all the other stuff with the, with the COVID concerns and, and everything else, you know, we have to take all that with a grain of salt. However, uh, it's definitely affecting the, the free agency market. It's, it's very slow moving. I think teams yes. are kind of nobody. It seems like, like nobody wants to set the market. I mean, the Mets kind of weighed in the pool. They signed Trevor May. Uh, there's about other teams, you know, Atlanta signed Drew Smiley and Charlie Morton early. Kansas City added Mike Miner and Carlos Santana. So, I mean, uh, but those, those aren't like huge moves. The, the the George Springer splash deal or the Trevor Bauer deal are, are the really JT kind Real of. Mucho. Yeah, the, the JT Real I mean, the, the Mets going from McCann instead. Um, right. I mean, you know. If I were a Mets fan, I would have rather paid higher money per year to get two years of Real Muto versus four of McCann. But 
that's just me. Um, but but regardless of any of this, it, it's you know, it, it's really put things at a stall here. So we're we're nearing the new year here, and I, you know, I have to start doing player profiles and everything else. I can't do any free agent until I know his destination, which is going to put a pause in some of those things, and then the ripple effects keep going down. It's like trying to draft for saves right now in draft and hold leagues is near impossible with the amount of free agents are out there. Cause we have no idea who's going to close for probably one third of the teams in baseball. So, you know, when we're dealing with all of this, how, how are you approaching any, I mean, I'm probably going to wait another month for any drafts, but are, how do you feel about any of that? Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I'm generally a guy that likes to wait as long as possible to have my drafts simply because it takes, uh, more uncertainty out of, you know, out of the draft. Like if you drafted right now, uh, as we'll touch on, but like who's closing for like Seattle and who's closing for Texas and who's closing for Cincinnati? What is Cincinnati even doing? Cause there's rumors that some other big bats and whatnot might be on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is Tampa Bay's rotation going to look like? They just signed Michael Waka to a one-year deal. Is he a starter or is he a relief pitcher for them? What's, you know, what's going on there? So I tend to like to, to wait as long as possible. And then, yes, if injuries occur, okay, but then you also get a view as to who might fill that role and might get a little bit of value to fill some roles. Um and it also, you know, allows guys to sign free agent. I mean, I know that it seems like every year for the last three or four years, it's been an ever slowing free agent market. This is way slower. This is far slower. And obviously there's a global pandemic and only 60 games of no fans and, you know, owners complaining that they're not going to get the gate receipts and TV deals were down and, you know, but, but but your boy Manfred too. We don't know if there's going to be a universal DH. The teams right. in the National League are saying they're preparing to go into the season without it, but it could change tomorrow. I mean, right, exactly. That's the other thing because that opens up another what fifteen spots essentially. Right, that that takes Nelson Cruz from negotiating with fifteen teams to all thirty. Right, exactly. So, um, so waiting as long as possible works. I mean, I know that the last few years we've seen some big name guys sign pretty late in the free agent season, but this is, um, I mean, the only real free agent news on Twitter is watching Trevor Bauer's timeline for wherever he's going to show up next or who he's betting. <laughs> like or who's trying to get folks right. from in a, in a stupid Twitter, Twitter poll. Yeah. He's got like a, a beef or a, a, you know, a bet going with Jared Carabas. Um, and one of them's going to have to do some stupid punishment if they lose a poll. Um, so it's just kind of it's kind of in a weird situation here where we all just we know the players that are at stake and we know kind of what they should be going for and nobody wants to pull the trigger even though they should theoretically have the money to to pull the trigger. And that's the hard part for me is I'm the old age and Friday thing. I just want the facts. I mean this I, I just want to know who's doing what, who's going where and how I can react to all these things. I mean Marcelo Zuna, I mean, I think Atlanta would love to have him back, but they don't want him playing in the outfield. Right, exactly. That's a perfect example of a guy waiting on an NLDH. So, because 
Like, I've heard him rumored to be in the Nats, and I'm like, but where is he going to play in the outfield? Yeah, him in the outfield. outfield. Right? I, I still remember You're that not one gonna move he's one like hanging on the fence like Spider-Man. That's, yeah. Like, I don't know. So, all right. So let's get into some of the recent transactions. We can answer one of the questions you posed a minute ago. Um, I think uh, if the season started today, Rafael Montero is probably closing games for the Mariners. Yep. But, of course, we've learned you can't trust Scott Service. Um, I believe he's a placeholder for a, a talented rookie or a talented prospect who – they traded for that's returning from uh, surgery. So um, if you're taking Rafael Montero, especially in a draft and hold format, you almost have to take Andres Munoz, correct? In a draft and hold, yes. I think in a redraft, I think you're fine with Montero because with what I was reading um, over the last few days about Munoz, he started pitching again. He's pitching from the mound, which is good to see coming back from Tommy John. But a lot of the people around the um, Mariners and their beat writers and whatnot are all basically saying that they kind of expect him to be back around June some point. Correct. Um, but that they don't expect him to be used in leveraged situations this year. That they mm-hmm. just kind of want to get him on the mound and get him in the bullpen and add some depth. Um, whether that holds true or not, obviously we have to see. It probably depends on if... Seattle's got a shot at the playoffs late, then, you know, they might need more stability in that ninth inning role. Um, But in a redraft, I'd be fine with riding Rafael Montero until the wheels fall off. Um, But in a draft and hold, I think you're, you don't often hear about handcuffing in baseball, but I think you're going to have to handcuff Montero with Munoz because, you know, the Mariners are going to win a decent amount of games, but they're probably going to do it close. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the saves that's where the saves come in for me. Like, I don't necessarily like getting closers from the, um, like I will never go right now for a Yankees closer, right? Because their offense is so good that they can just flat blow people out. Right. Uh, but they're pitching this year. No, their pitching isn't, isn't great. Right. It's Garrett Cole. <laughs> no, I, I understand your premise, yes, but it's, it's, it's like the same thing in fantasy football where you want the kicker from the teams with the offense who aren't going to score a lot of touchdowns, but they're going to make it to like the 30 yard line. Like the MVP this year, young Huku. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're going to want, cause that's where you get the points from. So you're going to get the saves from guys who are playing, who are pitching for teams that aren't going to blow people out. So teams like the Mariners, they're going to get a decent amount of wins, not going to blow people out in the process of winning. Hence you get, more save opportunities uh, while we're there. So Texas has been very busy They're They're turning over the roster. They've made it very clear that they're going to rebuild this year, which I am okay with. Um, so th- this one's interesting. So who gets more saves in 2021, Jose Leclerc or Jonathan Hernandez? I or, think... or are you taking the, or are you taking the field? I think I would go with Jonathan Hernandez. I do too, but. Because, so, it was interesting, because if you look up his numbers, like, most of his work came in what they what Fangraphs deems as low-leverage situations last year. Um, but even in high-leverage situations, he actually put up his best FIP in high-leverage situations. Um, and the most strikeouts, but he also kind of came with the most walks at that point, too. But walks have been just so bad for Jose Leclerc. 
Like, and mm-hmm. you can't trust him. Can he stay healthy? Like, he's coming off a shoulder thing, right? Yeah. The um, same thing. It was supposed to be more minor than what Kluver had, but. Mm. Yeah, but I don't know. And then I hear the word Terry's, I get nervous. Yeah, and then in 2018 was his best, you know, he, he, the second half in 2018. Right. He was, that second like, half was glorious. Right. And then 2019 came. He put up almost six Ks per nine in 2019. And almost a home run per nine. Like, why do I want to close her with those, with those ratios? Meanwhile, Hernandez strikes out about the same number of people, walks fewer people, gives up less home runs, and has better peripherals. So, I think it's actually going to be Hernandez that gets the most saves uh, for Texas. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. So, uh, we're gonna have a little fun here with Texas. They've been doing a lot. So, please. I would like to think I did a little piece on Fantasy Alarm about the Nate, the Nate, uh, is it Lowe or Lowe? I want to say it right. Uh, Brandon Lowe, or uh, sorry, it's Nate Lowe. Nate Lowe, that's why I was going to go with the first instinct would have carried through. Yeah, because it's Brandon um, Lowe and Nate right, Lowe, and right. those are not related. At least we don't have to do that anymore. So Lowe going to Texas, uh, you know, I, I was a little apprehensive about it because I did pick him up in the TGFBI late last year because I was looking for some cheap power near the end of the season. Um, he came through for a little bit, but it wasn't what I was hoping for overall. Um, I think this is somebody whose name and hype, I think, outweighs the actual player, but I, I want your perspective on it. I, I try to be very honest in my assessment of him of the trade review on fantasy alarm, but I want to get your take on it. Was I too harsh or am I, am I closer to thinking that this is a 240 hitter with power? Yeah. I mean, I give him a little bit more credit than 240, but only up okay. to like 250. Like we're not, talking, <laughs> we're not talking like a 280 guy who's all of a sudden going to come like, so, you know, so you're, we're not going to fashion clicks by saying he's a possible top 10 first baseman. Cause I, I almost fell know, out of my chair when I, I saw that. I don't have a whole lot of faith that he's going to be a top 10 first baseman. I mean, maybe he ekes his way in because first base is so dang shallow that, you know, you could put up okay numbers and back your way into a top 10 finish at first base. But um, I don't, I don't know. I see him as about a 22 to 25 home run bat with about 250 batting average right now. Gallo doesn't love that park for home runs. I can see how Lowe's going to yeah, I mean, just flourish. Scott, we all saw that park a lot in the postseason because the National League camped out there for like three weeks. And it's dependent um, on that roof being open or closed. Right. And so, and then they already made it pretty clear this year, I thought, that even with no fans, they kept the roof closed in August. With no fans. So they're not going to open it in August when they have fans because it gets like toasties all get out in texas so with the roof closed it takes the humidity out of question the ball's not going to fly nearly as far and to be frank the the park factors for last year which is the only one we can go off of for the new park tampa and the new park in texas is basically the same park in terms Mm -hmm. of park factors so it's not like he's going to a a more hitter friendly park they're about the same and in fact in runs globe life field now i guess is dead even at 1.00 if you know park factors so um yeah he's got a clear path to playing time you could take a late round flyer on him 
Although I don't know that he's going to last that long because there's some in our industry that are pretty dang hyped about this kid getting a shot in Texas. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, I, don't know. I mean, the other problem is, is like Oakland's pitching staff is pretty dang good. Um, you know, you got some, you got some, some stuff coming from Houston. Their pitching staff can be good. Depends on what they all get from certain guys. Um, Seattle's six man rotations evolving. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. So it's not like it's a walk in the park. It's not like he, and the other thing is in the AL East, had he stayed there, they're all band boxes, right? Right. Like Fenway and Camden Yards and Yankee stadium and Toronto are all band boxes. You, you and, can make a living just getting hitters going to Baltimore. Right. That's not the, that's not the case in the AL West with Houston and, um, the Angels ballpark isn't, I mean, it's pretty neutral, basically. Um, and Seattle, again, is going to depend on roof open or closed. Oakland, that thing is cavernous. So, I don't know. I think he's a decent first baseman, but I don't think he's anything special. Over, under on games for David Dahl, 75 and a half. Under. <laughs> Uh, that's all. That's all I need to hear about that. I mean, he's played less than seventy-five games in two of his four seasons, right? Yes, I, yeah. The other one he played seventy-seven, so that's basically a push. And the other one he played a hundred. Yeah, he's he's on my burn me twice list. I, I can't so do it again. Is it is it the air in Colorado that was causing the problem? Like you know, it's caused some Rockies. I don't know because too low left and then couldn't stay healthy. And Matt Holiday left and then stayed healthy for a few years in St. Louis and then couldn't stay healthy. So, I don't know. I would take the under, and then if you draft him, just pray that you got a steal and he stays healthy. Uh, before I get into James McCann signing with the Mets, I want to stay with the other side of that trade of Nate Lowe to Texas. Um, the, the main piece of that that I could gather from the Internet was – uh, Heriberto Hernandez going to Tampa Bay. He's a catcher with pop, although many think he won't be able to stay a catcher because he might be a defensive liability, but he's a bat that Tampa Bay likes. Is there, I mean, I, I think this is far in the future, but is, is that the, is that the main takeaway from this deal? Yeah. I mean, anytime Tampa's picking people up, you got to pay attention. Okay. I, I see people all the time, like, if Tampa Bay calls you about a guy at double A or below, hang up. Yeah, it's like the, you know, it's like the <laughs> reputation that Belichick's gotten, that if he's signing a guy, all of a sudden he's going to turn into something that nobody else saw coming, right? So um, there's a few organizations in baseball that are able to do this. Uh, Tampa's made a living off of it. Um, I don't think he stays at catcher. Um, I think the defense is, I mean, he could work on it, but um, I don't think it's going to much improve. Also, yeah. Tampa's pretty deep at catcher. They've got a couple of their top prospects that are catchers uh, already. So I could see him moving off, maybe playing some first base a little bit, playing DH, you know, letting that bat pop. But um, I don't think there's any real value to him right now. No, not not at the moment. Yeah. Um, all right. So James McCann to the to the Mets. Now he was the uh, personal catcher to Lucas Giolito. 
Yep. Um, he, he killed left-handed pitching about the last two years. Um, is there enough there for him to be a top 10 catcher or does the move to the Mets kind of hurt him a little bit? I, I'm a little torn on this one cause I'm kind of a pro McCann guy, but I, I was think, hoping I he would go to a little friendlier spot. I think there's enough there that he could be a top 10 catcher. Again, this is, we're talking about probably the shallowest position, right? You need volume. Um, you need volume. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't get it. And they're he should paying, handle staff better than Ramos. Right. They're paying him to be the number one guy. He's apparently really, really good uh, at building relationships with uh, his pitching staff. Um, you know, obviously, DeGrom doesn't really need all the help. It doesn't really matter who's catching DeGrom. He's quite, quite good. Uh, Syndergaard, though, Syndergaard's been a guy that, when he has a rapport with a catcher, does really well. And when he doesn't have that catcher, he doesn't do what you expect Thor to do. So that's somebody to watch. Um, and I think in terms of switching to, you know, the NL, I don't think it's going to hurt his offense at all. Um, I was a fan of his, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I was debating whether I was going to keep him. Or not, because he was coming off that really good year he had. And then, you know, the White Sox kind of buried him a little bit um, on the on the depth chart when they signed. Um, Grandel, but he played more than I thought he was going to. Yeah, he did. But the problem was the price that I was going to keep him for was, I mean, it wasn't exorbitant. It was like a buck, right? But, like, if you're going to keep a catcher for a buck, you need him to be, like, a start out of a $100 budget, I should say. Okay. Um, so it basically translates to like three bucks and another in, in your standard format. If you're going to keep a catcher for that, you need him to be a starting catcher, right? Right. That's, that's what I'm talking about with volume. So that's and he a, wasn't going to be, but this time around, I think he will be. And if that's the case, his bat plays. Um, and let's face it. There's kind of, I mean, I know the Nats don't have that many uh, lefty pitchers, but, Billy's got a few hittable lefty pitchers, um, you know. So I think he can make enough hay in that division to make it work out. Uh, I, I think Lance Lynn's a solid ad for the White Sox. Yes. Um, how, does this help Kopech? Because the Lynn, Lynn absorbs innings, and they're, I, I think Kopech needs to be a part of this rotation. Um, do you? How how many games can he start? I mean, let's say I'm going to estimate that the max we'll probably see this year is 130 game season. So, can Kopech make 15 starts, or will they protect him? So, Kopech's an interesting case, right? Because he wasn't. It's not like he missed last year with an injury. Yeah, he opted out. He opted out, and there was some mental stuff going on. We don't still fully know. I hope he got it right. Um, for his sake, this year can be just demoralizing <laughs> mentally. So, oh, I this hope, has been a tough year. I hope he got everything right. Um, but that being said, because he was healthy, we also don't know what he did in terms of training, right? We don't know what a pitch regimen that he did, workout regimen that he did while he was opting out. Was he pitching regularly and keeping, you know, it's not going to be like official innings, but essentially keeping like a side session schedule going. So he's not like 
coming off of two, a two-year break in pitching and going to have to build back up, right? That's the question with Kopech. So I think there's probably an innings cap. I think they probably start him in relief, um, much like we've seen with, you know, guys that you want in your rotation the next year. They bring them up, they start them in relief to get their feet wet and whatnot. So I think that's what we see from Kopech. Um, and then he may, you know, get get several starts here. It, probably the second half of the season, they would transition him to to the rotation because I think the rotation's deep enough that he doesn't necessarily have to be in it um, full time. But that's kind of what I see for Kopech. Okay. Good to know. Interesting. So that would be more of a, a stash and play later. Yeah, he's uh, definitely I, a draft and hold candidate. I, I know your your allegiance with the Nationals. Is there anything left in the tank for Eaton? So let me be the first to say that when they made the deal for Eaton, I was not fully sold on it because we gave up Lucas Giolito and gave up Ronaldo Lopez and gave up uh, Dane Dunning, by the way, who was just moved to Texas, Texas yes. to get Lance Lynn. So the ripples of that trade continue. Um, but that being said, Adam Eaton was a key cog in the World Series run that the Nats had in 2019, which feels like two decades ago now. Um, I think that last year, I'm not sure what we can take from last year because it's so weird, right? And he didn't play a full bevy of of, you know, games he missed some games there and then the Nats also had a bunch of games like shifted and postponed and you know the schedule got all wonky and then you also have to consider there was no you know Ryan Zimmerman opted out which yes he's not a huge bat but he's a leader in the clubhouse right um Howie Kendrick wasn't right there at the start of the thing Juan Soto missed the first like three weeks of the season because of COVID uh, no Steven Strasburg, no, you know, the whole infield was basically gutted, too, because you really only had um, Trey Turner. Mm-hmm. So I think he might have been trying to push a little too hard. Plus, also, when these guys get off schedule, it can really throw them off. So I think there's a little bit left for Adam Eaton. He's going back to friendly ground. He had a pretty good uh, couple of years the last time he was in Chicago, so... I think you probably get one more good year out of Adam Eaton. Because if you look at the 2019 stats, still a pretty good season. All right. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, I'm curious. I think a key to him is where he's going to hit in the lineup. Uh, yeah. I mean, roster resource right now has him projected to be the number two hole here. That's a nice place to be in that lineup. but Which, I mean, that's where he hit for the Nats in 2019. He hit after Trey Turner, and then, you know, you had Soto and... Um, See, I, I think one of the hardest things this year is to assess the guys with COVID, because Johan Moncada spoke out openly about how COVID just knocked him on his butt, and he's he's, he's a yeah. young, healthy young man, so... Well, if anybody a healthy young guy, I mean, that's, it's not like it's, you know, some 50-year-old schlub that was like, oh my God, that thing knocked me out. I mean, he, he was talking about the effects of you know, fatigue going through the season, Um, you know, so him, Austin Meadows and a few others that had COVID, it's really hard to take their whole season and really assess it. Um, I mean, I would prefer Moncada to hit second, but if they put Eaton there, I guess I can understand it, but that'll be, 
that would be curious how they put that lineup together. Right I, now, I, roster resource, which is on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Projected against right-handed pitching, you have Tim Anderson, Adam Eaton, Grandal, Jose Abreu, Aloy Jimenez, Moncada batting sixth, mm-hmm. Luis Robert, Adam Engel, and then Nick Madrigal in the nine hole. And then against a lefty, they put Moncada up to second? Probably. I would assume okay. that you would flip that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure the White Sox are done adding to that offense, and then that that leads me to another question with them: uh, are, are they going to give full run to Andrew Vaughn? I think they do. Um, I have him pretty decently high in my. They've, they've they've been pretty good about offering contracts to get the guys up there sooner, like Moncada and Aloy. Right. Um, so there's a chance that they Robert, decide they want Vaughn for the Robert. full season. They do it right, and Robert, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, because let's face it, that you know, who's a I mean, you got Aloy Jimenez who's DHing, but generally speaking, could play um the outfield pretty well. Um my guess is that you probably take Adam Engel out of that lineup and you put Aloy in left field and then you put Andrew Vaughn at DH. And that's a much tougher lineup. Um, That's what I would guess that they would do, because let's face it, uh, Andrew Vaughn doesn't really have that much left to prove in the minors. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was up at the alternate training site and was uh, really turning some heads with the sound of the ball leaving his bat. Um, So the trick for Vaughn, though, is he's not really great defensively at first base. Like, he's suitable. But he's yeah, really he's, a DH guy. Yeah, he's pretty much a DH. Yeah, and he's also a right-handed. He's a right-handed first baseman. So, right. you know that caps him too. So, um, that's the only downside for him though. Too is that the the White Sox have a pretty righty-centric lineup right now. Um, yeah, you've got a couple of switch hitters in there, but if there's a lefty on the mound, there's only you know Adam Eaton's the only lefty in that in that lineup. So, um, yeah, but I know the Yankees have tried to do that in the past, so they're not yeah. weak against left-handed pitching. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like, it's not like it's a massive mark against Andrew Vaughn. The guy is one of the best pure hitters in the minor leagues. So I would expect him to get a pretty decent run this year, especially if we're a couple of months in and the, the White Sox are serious contenders like we expect them to be. Yeah. All right. Well, a couple more moves here, and then we'll get into the prospect stuff. Uh, Rizel Iglesias heads to the Angels. Um, I was caught a little by surprise by that, but he is in the last year of his contract, and as we've determined, the Reds are shedding money. So um, the surprise kind of wore off, especially now that we're hearing that Luis Castillo could possibly be had in a trade. So um, I know there was the thing on Twitter proposing three guys from the Mets for him, and would you agree to it? Um, you know, they did that for Nolan Arenado too, by the way. Why? Well, yeah, but the watching Castillo has a little attraction. Up JD yeah, Davis no. to get Nolan Arenado, and they're like, "Oh, I'd much rather have JD Davis." I'm like, "No, you wouldn't." <laughs> Sorry. Uh, in a vacuum, it's easy to say that stuff, but um, 
I think the thing here, and you alluded to it uh, earlier with the with the Reds, is uh, the, what makes me nervous about the Reds is they have the this they have the pitching coach Derek Johnson who uh, loves ma- playing matchups the year when it was Jeremy Jeffress and then it was Corey Knable and sometimes it was Josh Hader back when we were screaming why isn't Hader the full time closer? Uh, I think this could this could happen again with Cincinnati with him at the helm. So. It could sometimes be Garrett. It could sometimes be Lucas Sims. If TJ Antone doesn't make the rotation, he could be in that mix. I, I it's going to be I very hard. To, that, it's going to be hard to pin down one Reds reliever. If if I was going to go with one Reds reliever, I'd go with Sims first. Yeah, it's interesting. They so let me let me put it this way: after every you know rumor or actual move has been made. The top name you hear coming out from the Reds as to who is a guy that could take the the range, you know, after Iglesias got moved or whatever, was Sims. And I didn't even hear anything about like the other two guys we mentioned were a distant second in that conversation. So, well, I think they're going to try Anton in the rotation because they're going to have to if they're going to do all these arms. I yeah. mean, that's and Maley's Maley's going into rotation. Anton's going to get a look. Lorenzen's going to get a look. Gray, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. The, one of Gray or Castillo's going. Gray and would make more sense. Out. Yeah. So, uh, what what a difference a year makes. And there's the, talk the, they're moving a Eugenio Suarez too. Right, he's been rumored to the Nats. Yeah, which I don't even. Because the Nats are also like, I'm not going to give you the top three prospects. I'm like, then you have nobody to go get them. Because <laughs> that farm system is, it's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's so bad. And the actual like offense in the major leagues is not good either. They're like everybody talks about how bare bones the Cubs are. The Nats are in a much worse spot. Is. Have you seen any recent pictures of Victor Robles? Was that just like a bad oh angle they God. showed him in that one game, or is he still carrying a few extra pounds? It looked like he was carrying more than a few extra pounds. It looks like he ate his former self for a snack. Like, oh, man. He looked – He if, if y'all haven't seen it, Victor Robles is playing in, what, the Dominican Winter League, I think it is. Um, and yeah. he hit a home run. Good for him, right? But, like, he – he got rotund a little he bit. He was lumbering around the bases. He was lumbering. He was not. And I'm like, okay, but we need you to be the speed dude. Like, that's your that's your role. Like, you didn't have to get big to hit home runs. You could already hit, like, 20 home runs. We need you to be the speed dude. And by getting big, you took the speed. So, like, I, that has me concerned. That's going to be something we're going to have to watch. Yeah, especially from an injury standpoint. That, that, just, that just feels like he's going to pop an oblique in the first week. Yeah, or a hammy when he tries to run faster than he thinks he can because he's now like 30 pounds more than he used to be. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see how that one progresses. So let's get into a little prospect talk because I know that's what your your key focus is here for Fantasy Alarm. We appreciate all your work you do with them. Uh, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll let you tell the, the, the listeners. Has the Rule 5 draft lost some of its luster? Yeah, um, it has for sure. Um, for those that are not aware, because the Rule 5 draft is kind of a hidden gem of the winter meetings, which obviously this year we're all virtual, um, basically any prospect 
or player not on a team's 40-man roster can be taken in the Rule 5 draft by another team. Okay, and basically the principle behind it is they don't want one team hoarding all these prospects and then, you know, they don't get a chance to play and, you know, they want to spread the wealth around a little bit. So sort of like college football with Alabama. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Right. So. Um, so the rule five draft, you know, it goes in order of, I think, like worst record from the year before. Mm-hmm. And teams can select a player. They don't have to. Um, but if you do select a player, that player has to stay on your active roster the whole year um, unless they get injured. And if they don't, then you have to send the player back to the original team you drafted them from. Uh, you also, there's some money involved. I think it's like $100,000 per dude you pick. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the last couple of years, there hasn't really been any major pieces taken. We were talking before the pod. And it's basically become the chance for a team to get a guy coming off Tommy John surgery who you haven't had to waste a year of rehabbing. Um, and to kind of bolster a little bit of your bullpen for super cheap on dudes that may or may not be MLB ready. Mm-hmm. Um, the Blue Jays last year, I guess the biggest wave was made when the Blue Jays last year took, um, what Elvis Luciano, I think is his name, 19 mm-hmm. um, year old reliever. They drafted in the Rule Five draft who had never pitched above a ball, and they took him, and then they, he had to be in their their. Uh, bullpen like all year I think he got injured a little bit and then came back so and they you know, got lucky with the expanded rosters too right exactly um, another good example Sterling Sharp was drafted um, from the Nats by the Marlins as a as a guy he's kind of an older prospect at this point he's like 26 nobody really knows to make, what to make of him he was drafted last year, didn't do very well in Miami. They demoted him, and then he got sent back to uh, the Nats farm system. So um, it's losing some of his luster this year. I mean, the biggest name, I guess, was Jose Soriano, was drafted first overall by the Pirates. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. Right. Um, he was, I think, the ninth-ranked prospect for the Angels at the time when they took him. Um, so he's got some interesting stuff, but again, he's coming off Tommy John surgery. He's going to be probably a bullpen piece for a back marker team in the Pirates. Sorry, Colby Conway. Um, <laughs> and Poor then, Colby. you know, the Twins took a center fielder who's 22 years old, who's never played above high A, and in 233 games has is hitting 240-something with 21 homers. Now, he has 47 steals. 24 of those came in one stop at like low A. So you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. Because um, I think Joey Bart stole like 12 bags in low A, and that guy's a catcher. Um, so, you know, it, there's some depth for, for these teams, but not really anything to pay attention to. I, I was surprised by the Tigers because we know they're, they're still going to be in a rebuild. And they let two relievers go in Will Vest and Anthony Castro. Uh, Vest went to the Mariners, Castro to the Blue Jays. Um, does does this only, uh, you know, make Zach Hess's spot as the potential future closer on this team even more in cement? Probably. I mean, he, he was the name I heard the most last year from the 
from the alternate site as far as relievers go. Yeah, uh, same here. That was definitely the talk of the the Tigers alternate site for sure. Um, you know, there's only so many guys you can protect, right? If you're the if 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 you're the Tigers, so you get to protect. So, so this is a case where having a deeper system hurts. Yeah, exactly. Because the Tigers, you know, you can only protect 40 guys. So obviously 20, what, 26 now are going to be on the major league roster. Um, right. So you're not going to lose a Casey Mize or. Right. You know. And then of the, of the prospects that aren't up, all of your most recent high end draft picks are going to be on the 40 minute roster. Cause you're not letting them go. So you've got guys like Tariq Scoble and Matt Manning and Spencer Torkelson mm-hmm. and Daz Cameron, who's probably going to be on their active roster, but may or may not. Um, you've got a couple other prospects down in the farm system too. And so before you know, and then the last few spots, you can't just hold prospects. You've got to put guys on the 40 man roster that are actually able to come up during the year because you can't let them off the 40 man roster without waving somebody. Right. So it's kind of, yeah, it's one of those things where having a deeper system definitely hurt the Tigers. But it's a it's a good sign for the Tigers that they're rebuilding, but also, you know, you can't protect everybody. Correct. Okay. Um, so you alluded to Colby and his affection for the Pirates. One of the only highlights he had last year was Cabrian Hayes. Yep, love this um, guy. He's, he's, he's becoming the it guy this year already. Uh, what was it, I think? There's already been an article on MLB.com about all of his StatCast data. and Oh, he yeah. You know. At the end of the year, during my prospect report for last year, I focused on StatCast leaders, and he was all over the StatCast leaderboard for, like, hard hit rate and exit velocity and, you know, all sorts of just, just tasty, tasty morsels of data. And... and- to me, what's the tastiest is there's a chance you could get double-digit stolen bases from a third baseman, which in the present market and in, in draft capital, uh, stolen bases keep pushing people's value higher and higher. Yep. Guy's got 55 to 60 grade speed. I'd probably put it closer to 55 than 60. But for those unfamiliar with the grading scale for prospects, it's called the 2080 scale. Uh 50 is major league average. So anything above 50 puts you above average into the plus and double plus and elite category. And then anything below 50, you start to get below average and then like well below average. And then why is this even being graded as a skill, right? So I put him at 55. That's a little bit above average um, for major leaguers, which coming out of a guy who is as kind of stout as Cabrian Hayes is, um, that's pretty nice for a third baseman um, in the minor leagues. Again, I mean, this was double A, but he had 12 steals in 117 games in double A. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had 12 steals in triple A in 110 games in 2019. So um, he's also, the other thing is, if he goes into a slump, which I don't expect him to because his he's also got, you know, 60-grade hit tool by my estimation, about 55-grade power. Um but if he does happen to slump, guy's going to win at least one gold glove at third base, if not more, uh, defensively. So that defense is going to keep him on the field no matter what. And so you'll get a chance to work through 
whatever he might be slumping. Now, the concern is he's the only bat in that lineup, essentially. I mean, Josh Bell, sort of. Um, but he's really the only bat in that lineup. So we'll see where they hit him. We'll see how pitchers deal with a guy of his skill. But that guy is definitely really intriguing at third base, which is a pretty deep position, so he might fall through the cracks a little bit. I I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. I, I have a feeling his ADP now uh and compared to when we get into late February is gonna be uh I, I'm gonna say at least one, if not two rounds higher when we get closer to the season. But we'll see how that goes. Um does Buster Posey coming back in twenty twenty one hinder Joey Bart or is it better because it lets him go back to the minors and get a little more seasoning? Um, well, okay, so it depends on what which way we're taking this question. If we're taking it from the perspective <laughs> of Joey Bart, it helps him because 2020 was abysmal for Bart, like that bat did not do anything. He hit what 170 something. Um, it was not good, he looked way over his head, which was interesting because it's the first time we've seen him in pro ball look over his head. Um, so, yeah, if you're Joey Bart, you're probably pretty happy because you're probably going to start in the minor leagues again. Um, and then, you know, after about a month, after some seasoning, you'll probably come up. If you're a fantasy owner, it's not great because, like I said, you're probably going to lose at least a month of production from Joey Bart. Even if he's on the major league roster, Bart's going to be backing up Posey. He's not going to be the full-time guy. And after a year off, Posey should probably be pretty healthy and be able to play more catcher than we've seen him play the last few years. So um, it's definitely going to ding Bart, um, at least at the beginning of the season. We'll have to see how things progress, how often Posey plays first base. Uh, if Bart's bat can play at the level we all expect it to and not at the 170 rate where he didn't even hit his weight. Um, so, yeah. Wait, so so could could Posey being healthy and Bart developing after a month or two in the minors finally be what gets Brandon Belt out of San Francisco? Probably. Like why is why is you Brandon Belt was actually there? good last year. The year I finally give up on him. He I know, right? He, he actually had a he had a pretty good year last year. Um I've been a belt backer all these years. I finally walk away and then there he is. Yeah, see? There you go. So, And Oracle played neutral. It was the strangest thing. It had nothing to do with Belt. It had to do with the park being different. Yeah, exactly, which makes no sense. They Another twist from 2020. They built that thing to be impervious to wind and climate and changing weather and and whatnot. There's a fascinating article about it. You, should, you, you all should look up and read how they basically made it windproof. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that's the best case scenario for Bart is that he has a really good couple. He has a really good spring and forces his way on there. And then Posey and Belt platoon at first base. But I don't think that's going to happen. All right. Last one before, because I know we're going a little long here. Um, Toronto has a, a bevy of catching prospects. Yes. And they're, they're rumored to be talking to Real Muto, which I, I don't know if that's just they're kicking the tires on everybody. Uh, Toronto seems like it's probably a dog in a room trying to meet everybody, but they're not quite sure who they want to sit with. Um, if it, 
regardless if they do anything with Real Muto, do you, do you think they'll trade one of their catching prospects to try and bolster the pitching staff? I, I like Toronto and what they're starting to do, but I don't know if they have enough pitching to make it through the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of there with you. I don't really like the re-signing of Robbie Ray. Um, guy if they're gonna if they're gonna use an opener ahead of him. I mean, it's okay, but yeah, but like, I mean, why are you bearing Ross Stripling as the fifth starter right now, projected in your rotation? Like, sorry, that shouldn't that shouldn't happen. Um, I mean, they have some interesting guys still coming up in the minors for pitchers, but. I mean, the key piece is up in, in Nate Pearson. So, but yeah, they've got some really interesting catching prospects. Um, a guy who came up for them last year, and I'm really kind of high on this year, is Alejandro Kirk. Um, but I could see him being moved because he's, he's the guy that's getting the most talk and so therefore probably brings back the most return. Um but, you know, I, I could also see them just going, hey, you know what, why don't we just go spend the money on uh, a free agent pitcher and keep the catchers we've already spent time grooming in Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk and then just bolster the pitching staff. So, you know, it's, it's they also have Anthony Kay, by the way, in the bullpen who could probably be a starter for them. Um, he probably should be. I would put Robbie Ray in the bullpen, to be frank. But, uh, you know, that's just me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, if they trade one, I would watch for it to be Kirk because I think he's going to bring back the biggest return. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to keep an eye. It, it, again, obviously, we're going to have plenty of time because there's not a whole lot going on in the majors. So we'll have plenty of time to assess all that information. So I, I know you're busy doing stuff for the – for the launching of the guide, I am as well. I'm going to start digging into some uh, player profiles tomorrow. I might even start. I, I need somebody to put me in a good mood, so I might do my first profile on Juan Soto just because I can't wait for what's coming this season because, uh, as we spoke on air last year, I was able to convince my uh, home keeper league to stall last year. We did a redraft like you did, so then I don't lose a year of my ownership of uh, Juan Soto on that 60-game mess. And so, by the way, that 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 helped me with Dylan Cease because I got to, like, use the 60-game warm-up year, and now I should get better value out of Dylan Cease. <laughs> yeah, um, so. So that, that worked, and by the way, I still get Walker Bueller for two more years. So I said the, the only downside was is I missed probably Bieber's most dominant year as a pitcher, but I still get to keep him on my – on my team. So I'm going to get two first, first round picks in our, in our keeper league by, by guys who took a, another giant leaps uh, forward last year. So uh, thanks for staying up with me on a, on a Monday night here. Just watch the uh, Monday night football game uh, expire. So uh, I get to go teach in the morning and I know you got chased around the little ones. So um, until next time, make sure fantasy alarm family are sending all the stuff. Be looking for the uh, the launch of the, uh, the baseball guy coming up. I know the basketball DFS and all that, they're getting ready to go with the NBA. Uh, NHL will be starting in early January, so it's going to be a uh, – and not to mention the playoff football coverage. So lots of things coming. And then, of course, when's, uh, when's, the, when's Daytona? Is that February? February 14th. No better way to spend Valentine's Day than watching oh, a Oh, my goodness gracious. Rubbing his racing on, on Valentine's Day. Fantastic. Yep. 
directly the weekend after. You can just stay in Florida for like a month now because the Super Bowl is in Tampa on the 7th of February. Then they go across I-4 to Daytona uh, for the Daytona 500 on February 14th. Then they canceled the all the race in California at the beginning of the year because of COVID. So they moved that to the second race of the year, also at Daytona, but on uh, their road course. So that's the 21st of February. And then the third race of the NASCAR season is Miami Homestead on the 28th of February. So you never have to leave the state of Florida for the entire month of February and you get a bunch of, you know, uh, awesome sporting events. We'll say not to mention you got the Heat, Lightning, and Panthers rocking too. So you and you got pitchers and catchers reporting in Florida at that point too. So uh, don't hold your breath on that one, but yes. Hey, if I speak it into existence, it's going to happen. That's what we're going to go with this year. All right. Well, again, thank you, Matt. Uh, everybody in the Fantasy Alarm family, please stay healthy and safe. Have a great uh, Christmas and Hanukkah season here, and we'll be back soon with episode sixty-three in the future. So again, thank you, Matt. All the best to you and your family, and we are out.